Hello and welcome to the Sifted Podcast. I'm Amy, Sifted's editor. And I'm Eleanor, Sifted's deputy editor. And Sifted, we report on Europe's tech and startup sector. And every week on this podcast, we have a look at some of the top stories we've written in the week, some of the top news stories that have come out. And we speak to lots of our journalists about what they think is super interesting that's going on in the world of European tech and startups. Today, we're going to be looking at some of the exciting news from startups and tech companies raising money that we've covered this week, especially a couple in digital health. And then we're going to be looking at the rise of digital nomad villages, which is a new trend for remote workers wanting to work in idyllic places around the world. And I look at this very enviously from my flat in London, where I look out at my neighbors and can see what they're doing. So excited to talk about that one. And then we're going to be talking about a real Phoenix story of European tech, German travel booking startup Omeo, which basically like went to the brink when travel died during the pandemic and now has come back and raised a big Series E. So we're going to be delving into that story, which is really cool. Amy, what has been going on this week at Sifted? We were all out and about eventing last week. Uh, there was It was London Tech Week. It was also Viva Tech. It was also the next web. It was also Super Venture that Eleanor was at. It was like everyone in Europe decided that they would put on an event all at the same time. But if we didn't get enough of European tech events last week, there's a new European tech event on the scene. Sifted announced our Sifted Summit, which will be October 5th and 6th in London. We'll be bringing together over 1,500 founders, operators, and investors for a celebration of all that is wonderful about European tech. I would say one thing, this is a plea from me and maybe from Amy as well. It's been amazing to see the response to the event. So many people have gotten in touch with us about speaking and about participating. There is a form on the website where you can sign up to say, express your interest in speaking. So please sign up to the form. And so on to the news. We've had some very cool raises this week and a couple in health tech. And tell us about the first one of those. There was an interesting raise from a Spanish startup called Idavin, which raised almost 20 million from some big VCs like Insight Partners and North Zone, and some money as well from the European Innovation Council to develop AI to detect heart disease early. Heart diseases are the biggest killer globally, and the startup says it can help cardiologists detect issues earlier, which reduces the man hours needed to get a diagnosis. So this is actually like diagnostics is a huge area that we've seen take off in the last couple of years in terms of VC-backed startups. And I feel like this is just, you know, now we have the tech stack capable of underpinning the kind of diagnostics that we need, like AI, right? And so, for example, in the UK, there I also saw a company that was doing this for breast cancer. And the great thing about these companies is that Not only do they help people get a diagnosis easier, they're also helping fix the issue of not having enough staff or not having enough talent to do this. Across tons of diagnostic roles in hospitals and clinics, there's tons of shortages. This is specialist staff that need training, school to do these jobs, right? And if we have the technology to supplement those people um, and help them make decisions that can help lessen the burden on our healthcare system, especially now that we're dealing with so much backlog post-COVID. So we'll definitely continue. I'm very sure that we'll continue to see more diagnostic companies like this, specifically focusing on one 
area of disease. Yeah, and it's it's good to see investors starting to get into, I guess, more complicated, more deep tech health startups. I think it's been very kind of B2C focused, a lot of apps, a lot of things like that, which there's obviously a massive market for that stuff. But some of the really, really big challenges and some of the staffing burdens and some of the kind of really great preventative medicine will come from these kind of businesses. So it's good uh, that that's coming. I also heard about... I met a VC this week at a a networking dinner who is launching a health tech focused fund, which I think will be one of the, we don't have that many specifically health tech focused funds in Europe. And they're planning on getting really into the kind of deep tech and biotech side of things, which I think will be, that will be one to watch when, when they're, when they're ready to announce it, you'll be able to read all about it on Sifted. At the same time, like we're seeing these amazing deep tech innovations and how we diagnose people and treat people and develop drugs coming out of Europe. But sometimes you just need a simple solution to a problem. And that's why it was also very cool to read the news this week about Cranus Health, which is building the Viagra of digital therapy. And it's created, their solution is totally medication free. And they give users who are suffering from erectile dysfunction some app-based treatment, which literally just involves doing some pelvic floor and cardiovascular exercises and some sexual therapy and mindfulness exercises, which I think is really cool to see like both sides of that spectrum of tech, super deep tech. And then also like, how can we provide like very simple, very effective therapies through something like an app? Yeah. And also it's a great example of when an app could perhaps not be better, but be a solution that some people might be more comfortable using than, for example, you know, going to a doctor or, you know, going through that stuff with another person. Like it's a, I'm, I imagine that going through erectile dysfunction is a very personal and quite a kind of difficult thing to talk about for lots of people. So having an app that you can use kind of in your private time to resolve you know, this, this health issue, like that's a brilliant example of when apps can play a really significant role. And this week we had a super interesting round, huge round coming out of Central and Eastern Europe. Track startup Rolik, which raised 220 million for its online grocer business. It's a little bit more like something like Ocado, if you're someone living in the UK, rather than the speedy grocery businesses like Gorillas. Amy, you are the queen, the princess, maybe, I don't know of things that are delivered on something with wheels. Why is this a big deal? Yes. Rolex doing something pretty different from the speedy grocery companies. For starters, it's just not that fast. So 85% of its deliveries are sent within 90 minutes of ordering. So that's quite different from 10 minutes. Or you can pick a kind of 15 minute window in which the order will arrive, which is quite convenient because, you know, you can make sure you're at home when it arrives it also has a much much bigger range than the speedy grocery companies so the speedy grocery companies stock about 2,000 items on their apps Rolex has more like 17,000 which is comparable to a standard supermarket on top of that it is not actually really any more expensive than a normal supermarket and partly it achieves that because it has these really big automated warehouses so Unlike the speedy grocery companies, which have lots of very small, very non-automated warehouses dotted all around a city, which enable them to do that 10 minute delivery. Rolex has much, much bigger warehouses like an Ocado or like a company called 
Oda, uh, which is from Norway, which is another online grocer, which stock its supplies. But that's not the only way it's different, right, Amy? No, Rodic is also profitable in some of its markets. So it oh began God. in 2014. So it's, I know, it's practically a granddad. And it's currently operating in Prague, Budapest, Vienna, Munich, and Frankfurt. So also very cool to see a company expanding across Europe that didn't begin in the usual, you know, the usual candidates of Stockholm or London or Amsterdam, but actually began in Prague. It has more than a million active customers. Its revenues reached 500 million euros last year. And It has been profitable in the Czech Republic for over three years and in Hungary since last year. And it is a unicorn. So how do you think Rolik is positioned as we go into this potentially what could be an economic slowdown? Yeah, so I my personal view is that lots of the other speedy grocery companies are firmly in the convenience space and you know, if you're using your heating bills go up by 100 quid a month, then maybe you're going to think twice about ordering a £7 tub of grocery with a £2 delivery fee from a speedy grocery app. However, I don't think you think twice about getting your loo roll and your milk and your bread and your chickpeas or whatever from a Rolex. So I really don't think that this business will be affected in the same way. And now we're joined by two of our journalists, our Germany correspondent, Miriam Partington, and our Iberia correspondent, Tim Smith, who also double up as our digital nomad correspondents. They spent a week last year in a digital nomad village in Madeira, and they've become something of an expert on the topic. Digital nomading, if you are not familiar with the topic, is a kind of lifestyle which basically means you travel around the world while working from your laptop and there are now these kind of villages springing up to cater for the needs of a person living that kind of life so Miriam Tim tell us a bit more what what happens at a digital nomad village yeah sure so digital nomad village is basically like a one-stop shop where nomads can just like arrive in a place so let's take Madeira They can just arrive in a place and they get access to everything that you would need to kind of make a life. So it could be finding accommodation. It could be finding a co-working space. It could be finding friends and activities and stuff like that to do. So it just makes it very, very easy to move to a specific place and get started as a remote worker, essentially. And when you've met a bunch of these nomads, right, what are their, well, A, kind of who are they? Who does this? And B... What are their biggest challenges once they commence the lifestyle? Yeah, I think like the answer to that question has changed quite a lot in the last two years. So it used to be, I think everyone had a bit of an image of what digital nomads were, that these were generally kind of young men, coders who were able to work from wherever they wanted on their laptops. And that was, you know, the ability to just hot foot it around from beach bar in Thailand to mountain retreat in Tibet was only really open to quite a select few group of workers. But now because of COVID and the pandemic, remote work is so much more possible for everyone. So when me and Miriam went to go and visit Madeira, we met digital nomads who were in their 60s. And one of them was a police investigator from the UK. The other when the couple was a university lecturer in a Chinese university. So anyone can be a digital nomad now. But what about the challenges, Miriam? There's quite a few, aren't there? There's the good points and the bad points of nomad lifestyle. 
Well, I guess the biggest one that I think we discovered was that like a lot of people for the first couple of months, they love going from place to place. They love having that kind of stimulation, like a new place every couple of weeks, making new friends. But after a while, it kind of gets a bit tiring. You have to imagine that you have to arrive somewhere. You have to do all of the paperwork, like especially if you're like jumping continents, like visas, all of that stuff. You have to get used to the local food scene. You have to figure out where you can do your washing. But also like imagine meeting people at these meetups and then having the same conversation every single time. Oh, I'm from the UK. I moved to this place. I've been there. So it does kind of get probably a little bit boring after a while, having to have those same kinds of introductions every single place that you go to but it's not it's not all so hard for these nomads is it what were some aspects of nomad life that Miriam and Tim you were like I could I could do with this every week wouldn't be so bad yeah I have to say it was pretty nice going to Madeira in November so yeah me and Miriam spent a week living the digital nomad lifestyle out there which is quite different to my normal routine getting up at seven to do yoga and that kind of thing but I felt a million million dollars by the end of it I have to say it wasn't just the yoga we attended a sunset fitness class on the beach a lot of very ripped people making me and Miriam feel like dumplings (laughs) But yeah, we, I felt so healthy by the end of it. And you can really see how it's quite an intoxicating way of life to kind of go from these amazing places to another one and, you know, always have this kind of on a plate roster of yoga, fitness, hiking, whatever it is. There's, you know, there's a lot to like. But I think with that, one thing that we noticed is there is a bit of a kind of like relentless culture of self-optimization. It's definitely not a kind of chilled place. And there's almost a sense of, I don't know, everyone trying to be the best version of themselves, living the best Instagram lifestyle and really kind of sharing that to the world. So yeah, I think, I think it's quite, what do you think, Miriam? I found it quite intense as well as quite rejuvenating. It's incredibly intense because if you think that there's this kind of like lively roster of events, so you like literally in these digital nomad villages, you get like a schedule and every hour of the day there is something to do. And a lot of nomads say like the first couple of weeks they're doing things like every hour of the day, like they're meeting loads of people. And then after a while it just becomes exhausting. You know, again, having to introduce yourself and to speak and to have interesting things to say and talk about your travels, you know, and like other than that, I think it's just like decision overload like in Madeira like me and Tim even had these moments where we were like ah like where where should we go what should we do there's like 20 different hiking trails let's go there or maybe there and as as Tim said you know it's kind of like wanting to make the best decision every single time so that you are living life to the fullest like it's actually a hell of a lot of pressure in a very privileged sense of course but it's it's a lot of pressure Wow. So if someone really wants to self-optimise, aside from Madeira, Tim, what are the what are the top digital nomad village locations? Yeah, Madeira is the OG, but then there are other sort of projects that followed in Madeira's footsteps. The Canary Islands is one, also good for kind of winter sun like Madeira. Both of those group of islands are actually closer to Africa than they are to Europe geographically. So they're really warm in the colder months. And um, so that's an option. The Canary Islands, you can go to Lagos in Portugal, which is in the Algarve. You can go to Bansko in Bulgaria. That's a mountain village. 
Trento in Italy, a sort of mountain lake. So yeah, basically what we tried to do with this article this week was pick the top places outside of the main cities. So yeah, digital nomad villages are trying to bring that kind of fast internet uh, amenities, liveliness of a city to these smaller places that might be a bit more of a tranquil place to go for a few weeks or months. Amazing. I want to go to the one in Bulgaria. Elena, what about you? I want to just go to one where there's sun. But I hear that there's also kind of, you know, bad impacts on the communities that, you know, become these nomad hubs. Like they didn't ask to become a nomadic hub. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so it is it is up for debate. And ultimately, these places tend to happen where they were quite tourism reliant anyway. So they were seen as a bit of a lifeline during COVID. So a lot of the locals are actually very grateful to have these nomads turn up. But there is definitely a slight sense of tension in Madeira from locals around if these nomads are staying long term and they're not really staying in hotels, but apartments, have they got more buying power? Are they going to be pushing up the price of property and making life actually quite difficult for locals? It's too early to say at the moment, but there are, you know, these definitely are communities that need to be well managed and not just plonked in any little corner of paradise that people so choose. And for our final story today, we're speaking to Kit Gillett, one of our reporters, about a story he worked on this week about the German travel booking site Omeo. So Omeo is a Berlin-based startup. It used to be called Go Euro, but then it decided to go global. So it became Omeo. And it has had a pretty rocky few years. It was a kind of real star of the Berlin startup scene. And then COVID came along and it saw revenues drop by 98%. Tell us what was Omeo's news this week? So, the, I mean, the key news is that they've just raised a new $80 million round of funding. This is their Series E round. And so this raise is, you know, obviously going to be used heavily to invest, but it's also kind of a a calling card to tell the market that they're they're still here, they're back, and it gives them, you know, a runway to basically keep growing and to reignite expansion plans that they had pre-COVID. So it's kind of a, a big boost to their bottom line and their, their plans after quite a painful two years. So you spoke to the CEO and founder, Naren Sharm, didn't you, about some of those COVID times? What did he say? What, what was that like, seeing business literally fall off a massive cliff? Yeah, I mean, I, from, from the conversation I had with him, it was... It was very, very humbling. It was a difficult time, obviously. And he was saying one of the, the painful things, not obviously that it was painful, they, they went through two rounds of furloughs, they had to let go some staff. As you said, their revenue dropped 98%. And he did say that there were moments where he, he thought that you know the company may not survive. One painful thing he was saying was, watching so many other tech sectors flourish, you know, having the COVID boost, those who are involved in communications, entertainment, fintech, you know, COVID for them was was a great time business-wise. And yet for a travel company, a travel kind of booking platform like Omeo, it basically almost destroyed them through no fault of their own. So, you know, he was saying the painful thing was having you know, built this company for over seven years, experiencing 100% growth every year. And then suddenly, it all comes crashing down. And they're sitting there kind of telling everyone, 
be patient, wait, people will start moving again. And another issue they had was that not only did, you know, revenues fall off a cliff, but they also had customers needing refunds, the the clients, the, you know, the, the travel companies, the airlines and the companies that they book tickets through not being able to give them money. So they had tens of millions of euros in cancellations that they weren't able to collect from their suppliers, but that they were still obliged to give to their customers. But yeah, what he was saying is that, you know, that they have a lot of COVID battle scars. And now they want to move forward, but they're going to do it with discipline, with humility, they're going to look at mergers and acquisition opportunities, but it's going to be a cautious approach. And what does that look like in practice? Like, what did they actually do that's enabled them to come back from the ashes? And what does that more kind of cautious, stripped back approach look like? Well, one is they cut their team down about 20%. But what they were able to do is create something that was much stronger internally. They cut costs, they reduced their marketing spend, but they managed to, in the last period of time, grow significantly despite being a much more streamlined business. And they've obviously worked on some partnerships with with different platforms, whether it's kind of rail company, national rail companies in different countries. So that's been kind of a core part of what they've been doing in the last few years. Looking forward, you know, pre-pandemic, they just launched in the US and Canada. They had these ambitions to kind of become, you know, hit four continents in the next few years. That's been tailored back a bit. You know, they're still still in the US and Canada, but, you know, Europe is 90% of their revenue business. But, you know, now they're looking at two new continents and they're, they're, just, they're, they're just being more cautious than, than they were before when it was just growth and growth and growth. So Kit, how does Naren see changes in the travel industry pre and post COVID? That was something very interesting in the conversation. And I think, you know, one, we're we're still very much seeing what's happening. You know, this isn't, there's no conclusion as yet. But he was saying that, you know, there have been fundamental shifts in, in user behavior and that he thinks that they're here to stay. And a few big parts of that were... You know, one is a growth in ground transportation. So people choosing to take buses, trains, a lot more staycations, staying a bit more local in their home countries rather than flying off for weekends to, to southern Spain or to, you know, chasing the sun. And so he said that that was a big change. And that obviously requires a big change in how they approach things because it's lesser destinations. It's more allowing people to compare the costs of trains versus planes. And But the other thing he was saying is that a big boost to them has been more people using mobile apps, moving, using technology for bus tickets and train tickets. You know, a lot of us have the habit of booking our train tickets by, you know, by apps, but increasingly the big rise that they've seen for themselves as a business in the last six months, 12 months has been train tickets being bought by via apps, bus tickets as well. And that's a big growth market that he sees. And that's really something that they're, 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 they're aiming to ride. It's interesting. It's like, you know, the, those times when we couldn't, didn't want to touch anything except for our own phones, right? We didn't want to touch the ticket machines. We didn't want to go talk to someone at the, you know, window, right? That just really changed our psychology, right? And really like kind of shocked things. Yeah, consumer behavior has changed so much. And I think, you know, when it comes to fintech and other industries, you know, we've seen that throughout the pandemic. And I think for travel, 
we're now seeing that now as we're coming out, we will get back to traveling. People will get, you know, they already are, but increasingly get on buses, trains, and that part will return to normal. But how we interact, how we get our tickets, how we do all the processes before getting on a plane and train, that could have fundamentally changed because of the pandemic. And companies like Omnio are are seeing that firsthand. Super interesting. Thank you, Kit. Great chatting. And that's all we have time for today. If you want to hear more about what's unfolding in the world of European tech and startups, you can find our coverage on sifted.eu. And you can find all the articles that we mentioned in this episode in the podcast description. You can also sign up to our many, many newsletters covering everything from corporate innovation to startup life, fintech and sustainability. You can pre-register for the very, very exciting Sifted Summit, as mentioned by Eleanor earlier summit.sifted.eu is the website Um, and please let us know what you think of the sifted podcast we are always trying to make this podcast better and more wonderful so please send us an email i am amy at sifted.eu eleanor is eleanor at sifted.eu and please come back for more next week bye bye